Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the following program is sponsored truth incorporated today from philip de Corsi on know the truth you have got to rejoice in the lord always this is what is expected of you as a christian every day we will choose either joy or cynicism joy or despair joy or desolation joy or worry joy or complaining joy is a decision it's a choice you make Welcome to Know the Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Philip DeCourcy, pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. One of the hallmark characteristics of the Christian life is unquenchable joy. But if we're not careful, our joy can be robbed by stress. Today on Know the Truth, we'll explore God's prescription for reclaiming our joy. The message comes from our series titled Less Stress, and you can find all of our past broadcasts at ktt.org. But now, here's Philip with today's message called Sunny Souls. Cyprian was the bishop of Carthage. He was a well-known Christian apologist and eventually a Christian martyr in the third century. And he wrote to a friend called Donatus, and he told of his conversion to Christianity and his commitment to Jesus Christ. So listen to his story. Here's what he says to Donatus. This is a cheerful world as I see it from my fir garden. But if I could ascend some high mountain and look out over the wide lands... You know very well what I would see. Brigands on the highways, pirates on the sea, armies fighting, cities burning. In amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds. Selfishness and cruelty, misery and despair under all roofs. It is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than that of any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatists, are Christians, and I am one of them. That's a great little slice of early church history. And I love the description that Cyprian gives of early Christians. Christians are those who have found a joy a thousand times better than that of any pleasure one can find in one's sinful life. In a bad and a sad world, there was a company of sunny souls. In a stress-inducing world, Marked by murder, misery, and mayhem, there was a joy-producing people, the Christians. 
and Cyprian became one of them. You see, the church was an island of happiness in the midst of a sea of gloom and doom. The church was an oasis of solid joy in the midst of a desert of hopelessness and despair. Cyprian's admitting that one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian in the early church was this unbounded joy. Someone has said that joy is as natural to the Christian as play is to a child and as beauty is to a rose. That's true. And here we find in Philippians 4, verse 4, Paul encouraging the church at Philippi to exude and express a joy unspeakable. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. This wasn't blind optimism. This wasn't a superficial happiness tied to some pleasant circumstance. No, this was a solid joy that could be found at any hour in the day and any day in the week because one can find it in Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The friend, the Savior, the Advocate, the Protector, and the Lord of His people. In fact, Jesus promises that, doesn't He? In John 15, verse 11, He says to His disciples in the Upper Room Discourse, I pray that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. So as we're looking at this issue of less stress, I'm going to suggest on the basis of Philippians 4, verse 4, that joy is another stress buster. Fixing broken relationships goes a long way to lessening stress in our lives. But another factor in lessening stress in our lives is to live in the joy of Jesus Christ. Now, we've started to look at verses 2 through 9. These are Paul's closing comments in his letter. And at first they may look like a rag bag of loosely related injunctions, but they're not. Because the themes here of unity and joy and prayer and a right mindset, you'll find them in earlier chapters. In fact, look at this theme of joy. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says that he prays for the Philippians with all joy. In chapter 2 and verse 2, he prays that they would be like-minded and complete his joy. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So what you have in verse 4 of chapter 4 is a repeated theme within this letter. In fact, Paul will mention joy 19 times in the compass of this small correspondence. It's like a bell that tolls through the book. So while these closing comments might look like a rag bag of loosely related injunctions, they're not. Paul is going back over things he introduced earlier in the letter. Secondly, they are a series of imperatives. He implores these two ladies to be of the same mind. He calls on this church to rejoice, to let their gentleness be known to all men, to be anxious for nothing and prayerful about everything. He calls them to give thanks. He calls them to think rightly. And he calls them to indeed replicate his own example. These are a series of imperatives that if they're followed, will allow this church to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This section of 
verses 2 to 9, is a way in which they can conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what he calls them to do back in chapter 1 and verse 27. And then finally, as we just reintroduce these several verses here in verses 2 through 9, they are a God-given prescription for peace. They're not just repeated themes, and they're not just a series of imperatives for you and I to live out as an expression of our devotion to Jesus Christ. By living these out, you and I can come to enjoy an out-of-this-world peace for living in this world. Because Paul tells us here in verse 7 that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Paul tells us in verse 9 that if we follow these imperatives, the God of peace will be with you. And so if you want to lessen stress in your life, you need to follow these imperatives. We looked at the call to promote relational harmony. We're looking at the call to promote a happiness in our lives that's centered in Jesus Christ. This is a theology that's better than any therapy. This is a therapeutic truth designed to settle your nerves, calm your heart, inflate your spirit with the buoyancy of Christian joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's part of the prescription for peace. You know Proverbs 15.13 and Proverbs 17.22. A merry heart, a cheerful heart, a joyful heart is what? A good medicine. Here you are in God's medicine chest. Your heart's burdened. Your soul is stressed. You can take this prescription out of God's medicine chest. Rejoice in the Lord always. Ways. And you know what? We need to do that in our country because anxiety affects 40 million Americans. Three of the top 10 drugs are for mental illness. In his book, Anxious for Nothing, Max Licato says, the land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. And he's right. And so let's come and look at this verse. It's part of this prescription for peace. It'll allow us to lessen the stress. There's three things, the command, the connection, and the constancy. They're all there in verse 4, and I'll make it clear. The command, the connection, the constancy. Let's look at the first thought here, the command. Verse 4 comes with fire and force. It's an imperative in the Greek grammar. simply means it's a command. You must be in compliance with verse 4, to live a life and conduct your affairs in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Rejoice in the Lord always. And you see the force of this and the fact that he doubles down by the double use of the verb rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is an injunction. This isn't good advice. Take it or leave it. Come back to it. No, starting today, you have got to rejoice in the Lord always. This is what is expected of you as a Christian. Now, let's pause. Because I would guess you're bristling a little at the thought, how can joy be commanded? I thought joy was a spontaneous thing. It kind of just happens to you. It's caught more than commanded. But that's not true. It's something that you can command. It's something that you can will. You can will to rejoice in 
the Lord. Listen to these words that appeared in an article in the Table Talk of June 2010. It's a magazine put out by Ligonier Ministries. It was an article by John Sartell. Here's what he says. Many think that joy is like the flu. It's something you catch. It just happens. Others opine that joy is in the genes. It's an innate character trait in some people that automatically emerges from their DNA. You know, just some people are happy-go-lucky. Joy comes to them naturally. Well, he goes on. Here's what he says. Yet all through Scripture, God commands joy. Joy is the second element listed on the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the first. Is love a virus that is caught? Is love automatic? No, God commands us as Christians to love even the most difficult situations. Husbands and wives are commanded to love each other because authentic love is not an involuntary action. Just so we are commanded to rejoice. It is a decision, a choice we make. Every day we will choose either joy or cynicism, joy or despair, joy or desolation, joy or worry, joy or complaining. It's a good word. He's right. Joy is a decision. It's a choice you make. It's not a spontaneous emotion. It's the result of a deliberate choice on your part to find happiness and joy in what you know to be true about Jesus Christ and what you know to be true about yourself in relation to Jesus Christ. Here's the way I'm putting it. And write this down and think about it. Joy is the result of a forced focus on Christ. A tough treasuring of Christ. That's what Paul's calling you to do. As you rejoice in the Lord, joy will come. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of horror, in the midst of loss, in the midst of tears and troubles, you must consciously force your focus away from self-pity away from surrounding circumstances. You need to get your eyes off your enemy and those who threaten to hurt you. And you need to force your focus on Jesus Christ and you're going to rejoice in the Lord. You can will that. You can decide that. You can choose that. You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose your reaction and response to your circumstances. And one of those responses is to find your joy in Christ. That's why I call it tough treasuring putting a value on Jesus Christ and His gospel, realizing that's the best and that's the biggest, and keeping your focus there when you lose this or you face that. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 118, verse 24? This is the day the Lord has made. There's a recognition there, isn't there? This day is something He has given me. This day is something He wrote down millenniums ago in his book. Whatever happens the day God has permitted it and God has planned it, this is the day the Lord has made. Now what does he say? I will rejoice and be glad in it. There's not only a recognition there, there's a resolve there. I will rejoice. Whatever this day brings, God has allowed it. And I will rejoice in him because he governs all that's happening in my life. This is the day the Lord has made. Notice the words, I will rejoice. That's an act of the will. That's a decision. That's a choice. That's an attitude. Go to the beginning of chapter 1 of this letter. I'll paint in the background in Philippians. 
This is Paul's first imprisonment. He will be released from this one. There'll be a second imprisonment from which he will not be released and he will die as a martyr. But here he's under house arrest. He's probably been under house arrest for about two years. He's been kicked about, if you read the tail end of the book of Acts, like a political football. He eventually appeals to Caesar and he'll make his way to Rome. Now, that's the background to what he's about to say, because they're trying to find out, hey, Paul, what's been happening with you? Verse 12, chapter 1, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's the good news. I've been kicked about like a political football. I've got more enemies than friends where I live at the moment. But God's up to something. And then he goes on, we'll not read all the verses, but he goes on to talk about how in his absence, during his imprisonment, some have begun to preach Christ, even from envy and strife. Some, verse 16, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, to add to my affliction. Can you imagine that? One would guess some young upstart thinks, you know what, this is my move. Paul's out of the way. I'll come to the fore. And Paul admits that there are some who are preaching Christ and it grieves him that they're doing it with the wrong motive. But their message is right. Their motive is wrong. But I want you to scroll down, okay? Look what he says in verse 18. What then? You want to know my reaction? You want to know how I've internalized that? You want to know my response? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, there are those who are preaching the gospel out of pretense. Some are preaching it in truth. But here's what Paul says. I like the fact Christ is being preached. Now notice the words, and in this I, what? Rejoice. But don't stop there. And will rejoice. It's a choice. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a decision. He could get all focused on these guys that are preaching out of pretense. That are adding to his affliction. But no. He's going to rejoice in the Lord and the fact that God's gospel is being preached and advanced. I will rejoice. That's where I'm going to set my focus and that's where I'm going to put my joy. Folks, fundamentally joy is a habit of the heart. It is the soul continuing consciously to choose to value Christ above all. It is a deliberate and active discipline of rejoicing in Christ. The onus is on you. Tomorrow morning, the alarm goes off or your phone rings and you get up. And you know what? Before you know it, stuff will start hitting you. The day will start crowding you in. I'm, I'm guess before sunset, stuff will have happened. Question is, what are you going to do in response? Are you going to consciously choose to focus on Christ? His love, His presence, His promises, his lordship over your life? Because you see, joy, according to Paul, is not the product of temperament. It's not the outcome of providence. It's not the child of a silly emotion alone. It's the consequence of choosing to rejoice in Jesus. That's what joy is. It's the consequence of choosing to rejoice in Jesus. It's an orientation of your heart. It's an attitude. You can create a climate in your soul by a forced focus and a tough treasuring of Jesus. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice regardless. They may have preached out of truth. Some have preached out of pretense. But Paul says, I will rejoice. That's why I love what one theologian said, that joy is a defiant nevertheless. It's a good quote, actually. Write it down. 
Joy is a defiant nevertheless. What's he saying? He's saying that whatever circumstance you're in, and it's bad, and it's ugly, and it's sucking the life out of you, you need to declare a defiant nevertheless. In the face of cancer, in the face of a prodigal child, in the face of whatever circumstance crushes your spirit, nevertheless, I'm going to focus on what I know to be true about Jesus Christ and my relationship with Him. I'm kept by the power of God. I've got an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. And in that will I greatly rejoice. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And in that will I greatly rejoice. Nothing will separate me from His love. In that I will greatly rejoice. That's what joy is. It's a defiant nevertheless. It's not allowing the circumstance to dictate your mood or to indeed bring about a negative response. You got a to-do list? What's the number one priority of tomorrow morning? Well, according to George Mueller, it's to make your soul happy in the Lord. It's to orient your heart and mind to eternal things, gospel truths. So when you walk out the front door, you stay at home raising the kids, and you begin the day and the onslaught of deadlines and demands and difficulties, to a large degree, they're going to bounce off you like BB pellets against the hull of a battleship because you've made your soul happy in the Lord. All may change, said the hymn writer, but Jesus never. Glory to His name. Whatever happens in the morning and the afternoon and night, all may change, but Jesus never. Glory to His name. That's where your joy is. You have a responsibility every day of this week to make your soul happy in the Lord. And if you're sad, and if you're some kind of spiritual puddle glum, and you're a cloud heavy with rain over everybody's head wherever you go, that's your fault. That's your issue. Oh, you need to know my circumstances, Pastor. You got to understand the guy that you know lies beside me in the bed. You haven't met my children. I need to introduce you to my boss. It's all irrelevant. Your joy's to be in the Lord. Not your circumstances, not your kids, not your husband, not your health, not your bank balance. Not that those things aren't sources of joy, but they'll change. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. And that's where you find your joy. And it's your responsibility to make your soul happy in the Lord. We're learning to be sunny souls in a world of darkness. God's light is revealed when we find our joy in Him. You're listening to Know the Truth in a series from Philip DeCourcy titled, Less Stress. Here at Know the Truth, we're trusting God to help us impact men and women across America, in your city, and many others. Because God has opened up the doors of opportunity to air this Bible teaching program on more news stations than ever. But while we're excited to press forward to reach the major urban centers of America, we're also in need of more support than ever before. Will you stand with us today? Make a special one-time donation at ktt.org or give by phone when you call 888-644-8811. We also need more friends to step up and become monthly Truth Ambassadors. Your automated monthly support allows you to spread your giving throughout the year. Become a Truth Ambassador today. Again, call 888-644-8811 or sign up online at ktt.org. When you give, you're invited to request Paul Tripp's A Shelter in the Time of Storm. 
This book is a study of Psalm 27 and pairs nicely with our current study. Incorporate it as part of your morning devotionals or read through it page by page with a group. You can request your copy when you give online at ktt.org or phone in your gift and request to 888-644-8811. And if you prefer to send a check, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And be sure to sign up to receive Philip's free weekly devotional called Truth Matters. You'll have new devotionals delivered automatically from Philip's desk to your inbox every week. It's also an easy way to share biblical encouragement with a friend. Sign up online at ktt.org. So glad you joined us today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for another lesson on how to reduce stress. That's Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay, so the big question for any decision you're going to make, is this actually going to work? Well, if you've heard about MediShare, which is a brilliant way of sharing healthcare costs, you may have wondered that. Does it work? Well, so did Dr. Stuart Hoover, who initially joined to save a lot of money. The typical family saves about $500 a month. Stuart saved even more. When we first joined uh, MediShare, we were immediately going from a little over $1,600 a month down to uh, $460 basically a month. So that's wonderful, but then his wife needed emergency surgery, and the bills added up to $160,000. So we were seeing the bills coming in, and then the bills were being paid. Portions were being shared, and the end result of this is this bill was taken care of. Yes, MediShare works, and it's so easy to get your questions answered, too. So why not? You can call right now, 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE, 844-45-BIBLE. 